0: Welcome to Founder Views. My name is Costa. I'm your host and co-founder of Web for Realty, a SaaS company that I bootstrapped out of my parents' basement with no money and no tech experience into a fully remote company doing seven figures in ARR. I'm taking you through my SaaS journey in real time as I talk about business situations I'm going through, thinking about, or just find interesting. My purpose is not to give you the answers, but to spark something in your mind that can help improve your business along the way. I manage a remote company, so we hire team members from all over the world. One of the most tedious things about hiring and growing a team is the HR and administrative part of it all. As my company was starting to grow and we were starting to hire more and more team members, I knew I needed a solution that would help organize my employees and company better. That's when I discovered Humi. The value that Humi provides begins the moment you think about hiring with humi's recruitment portal i'm able to publish my job post sync it to all the other popular job sites and feed all the applicants directly into humi when you're getting hundreds of applicants and interviewing dozens of people per day you need a system that'll help organize your hiring process so you can simply focus on finding the best person for your company after you find the right person to hire you have to onboard them into your company properly that requires creating contracts company materials sending it to the new hire to review and getting them to send it back to you among many other things with humi I have all of my contracts and documents pre-loaded and they are dynamically filled with the new hires information so there's no more manual work and back and forth involved all documents are signed online through humi and tracked accordingly that part alone saves me at least two to three hours per employee during the onboarding process but probably one of my favorite features of Humi is their time off feature. Now I'm able to create my own company time off policies. All of my employees can request time off directly through Humi, and I can either approve it or deny it on the spot. I'm able to easily track how many days off an employee has taken in the year, and the entire team is able to see a live calendar of who's scheduled to be away. So if you're a company owner, you have employees, or you're thinking about growing a team, I would highly, highly recommend checking out HUMI. That's H-U-M-I. They have it all. HR, payroll, benefits. Uh, I have an exclusive promo only for my listeners. I got you 30% off your subscription. Uh, make sure you sign up at humi.ca slash so they know that I sent you and you get you 30% off. That's humi.ca slash founderviews to get 30% off. Trust me, you won't regret it. In this episode, I'm speaking with Darren Gallup, a fellow Canadian SaaS CEO. Darren runs Securacy. They help guide companies through creating, implementing, and managing information security programs. They've raised a total of $1.8 million from investors. Uh, Before starting Securacy, he founded another SaaS product for music festivals called Mercado, uh, which recently got acquired. Um, This was such a great episode. Darren is one of the brightest CEOs I've spoken with. We talk uh, about quite a few topics, including how Darren leveraged his existing network to gain traction at security, uh, some of his go-to market strategies that they're testing right now. Uh, Darren shares a lot of specific frameworks, metrics and tools that Securacy implements in their company. He also talks about some really good hiring tips and how responsibilities change as a CEO when you have investors. Uh, so just a lot of great discussions in this episode. I really hope you enjoy my chat with Darren as much as I did. So here you go. All right, Darren, thank you so much for joining me on the Founder Views podcast. Really excited for you to be here.
1: Excited to be here with you.
0: Awesome. So you you have a, quite a few businesses uh, and experiences under your belt. Uh, you previous uh, your previous company is in Mercado. Mercado. Mercado was acquired, right?
1: It was. Nice. Yeah, a little over a year ago.
0: Nice. Um, You also currently run a company called Securacy. Um, So, obviously, a few things I want to unpack there. But first, uh, just mind telling our audience a bit about yourself, your background, and what you're up to today.
1: Yeah, so Darren Gallup, CEO, co founder of Securacy, which is an information security and privacy compliance platform for B2B SaaS companies. Um, Basically, got into this from several you know strange decisions in life so i started off my career in my 20s as a professional musician so um i sang and and fronted a couple of groups um did a bunch of studio work spent about six and a half seven years as a full-time percussionist in a band did a lot of studio percussion work started a record label that uh you know didn't do so well it was you know and. 2006 wasn't a good time to start a record label, I guess. And, and I didn't really know what I was doing. So, you know, the two combined things made for not such a great journey there. But uh, it kind of got me in, I met a guy who was a, a software developer. And so that kind of got me really intrigued about, you know, building technology and, and, and whatnot. And I was a bit of a computer nerd from the sense of, like, I was a power user. I liked using new technology and checking out new tech. So I went from music to building Mercado, which was a platform in the music space, and the music festival space, more precisely. And then that introduced me to data protection and compliance and all of these things that we had to confront in the Mercado journey, which, you know, became sort of the foundation of, of, of my current um, company. And so, you know, I focus about 95% of my time on security. It's the only venture that I am involved in, uh, you know, on a full time basis. I do, I do mentor a few other early entrepreneurs and I sit on the board of a, of a sort of mid size growing uh, technology company.
0: That's awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, so you said Mercado was acquired last year? Yeah, just a little over a year ago. Nice. How, how, uh, how, long
1: were you running that company for? So almost 10 years, actually, it was a quite a long journey. We actually started out, um, you know, started out focusing on building a platform to help independent musicians and independent musician managers manage their, uh, their journey, their, their activities, their touring, their press and media and all this kind of stuff have really struggled in that market to generate revenue, um, and and then we sort of made this transition in 2010 to focus entirely on music festivals, and and that you know saved the company and turned it into something fairly relevant in the space.
0: That's awesome. And what made you guys want to sell or get, let go of it?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple a couple of reasons. Um, I would say the, the the biggest one is that the the music festival space and the music festival technology space it is quite a niche. Um, and, and so, you know, there is really a market cap there in terms of how big of a company you can, you can build. And and I didn't build it as big as, as, it, as it could be, or as big as I believe it will be under its new ownership. But, you know, I, I kind of got it to a point where I, I felt like it was, it was a leader in its space. And I, you know, I think some of the reasons that I was really passionate about that company in in my 30s i was no longer as passionate about my 40s so i started to feel myself being disconnected a little bit or not as not as uh you know passionate about the industry and the problem i had gone to probably 150 music festivals over that span um and and really enjoyed that but was enjoying it a little less in my last couple of years and i really wanted to so one of the reasons that i'm i'm really passionate about building businesses is I really love the idea of creating meaningful employment in my region. And I felt like the, the growth trajectory for the following five years for Mercado wasn't really going to contribute that much more jobs at the speed that I, that, I, that I thought I could in potentially a larger market in a hotter industry or a larger industry.
0: Nice, nice. That's great. Um, now, you know, I got to ask, I'm sure people are wondering. So it's something I got to throw out there without getting into specifics, of course. But was the acquisition amount life changing? Or was it one of those in between amounts where it sort of gives you some time to sit back and think about the next move, but not necessarily life changing?
1: I didn't have any time to figure anything out because I, I had made the I, I made the decision to actually start security before the deal was done and the deal took a lot longer than I had anticipated it would take, um, which put me in the position of basically, you know, having two technology companies at the same time, which I don't think I would recommend to anyone. Uh, but that's a whole other story. Um, so I didn't really have any time to figure anything out. It was like, I was overwhelmed by, by things happening in security by the time the deal went. So there was no vacation or there was no like sit back and reflect at all. It was literally like, okay, finally the deal's done. Now I can get all this other stuff done that I need to do. Um, now in terms of, you know, it, it did change my life. So I would say it was a life changing transaction for me, but, but not, you know, it wasn't a set for life. Like it wasn't like, okay, I'm good. I can just do whatever the hell I want for the rest of my life. But it put us in a, you know, it really changed uh, my wife and I's position. Like we were able to pay off all our debts. We were able to acquire a new home. We were able to do substantial renovations of that home, go on a couple of vacations, put a little bit of money away. Like it, it did actually have a massive impact on our life, um, you know, but, but I'm still hungry. I'm not, I'm not ready to, you know, I, I don't have, you know, the stores put away that I can, you know, say I'm lucky enough to live a healthy life into my late 80s or 90s. Uh, it wouldn't. It wasn't enough for me to have all of the the resources to conduct that that journey out to to, to the level that I that I would like to. So, it was a really great thing, and uh, you know, it was it was the right time, and it, and it was a life changing moment. But uh, I still have a lot more to do.
0: Yeah, I totally get it. I hear you. That, that's amazing, though. Congratulations. That's uh, that's you. huge. Um, so, security, you. You're in you're in an interesting space, I think. So, would you say your ideal customer is um, like enterprise, small business, like SaaS companies? Like, who who is your yeah, so, target audience?
1: So yeah, I would, the target audience is actually SaaS companies. So they're software as a service companies. Generally, we do have quite a few early-stage companies, and we have really affordable, even free plans that can accommodate those really early-stage companies that have to meet some sort of security compliance. Generally, our customers are selling to upper mid-market or enterprise, and that's where you're seeing this due diligence process that these larger enterprises go through or put their vendors through before they're able to trust those vendors with access to their, to their data. Um, So, so we have quite a few of the early stage SaaS companies, but we also, we're also starting to really focus our our sales initiatives on more mid market uh, SaaS companies. So post series A, post series B, series C companies that are into say hundred to 500 employees, that are really starting to scale their, their sales and, and move, move more into doing deals with enterprise and upper mid-market. So they're being, they're being scrutinized on a regular basis and they're being asked and requ- they're required to comply with information security standards and, 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 and also privacy regulations as a part of their day-to-day sales process.
0: Gotcha. Is, are most of your clients in, in the U.S., Canada, or are you in Europe as well? so
1: we've been focusing entirely on north america um i would say the majority of our customers are in the u.s um but but canada being canadian we have a few more connections in canada so the canadian market's much smaller obviously but we do have quite a few customers in canada as well but it is our intent to focus entirely on north america for now um certainly um you know certainly once we get a little more um, have a little more progress and, and success in those markets. We'll we'll look at expanding out, but uh, yeah, totally focused on North America.
0: Would it be difficult to get into Europe with like the whole GDPR and all that?
1: Uh, not, I mean, not not really. So we're actually seeing a lot of uh, SaaS companies in Canada and in the U.S that have to be compliant with GDPR because you know if you're selling to an enterprise or upper mid-market company in Boston or New York and they have customers in Europe they're going to be requiring that their vendors are compliant with GDPR, especially in cases where there's personal information of European citizens being involved. And we actually have a lot of, you know, a lot of smaller companies that are selling directly to Europe right now as well that are based in Canada the US. So, so that's not really the, that, that's not really the limiting factor. We just decided that we would, we would focus on an English speaking market that's in our time zone, Um, and, and that, that would simplify uh, our focus and our ability to really serve. And it's such a massive market. Um, there's so much greenfield in North America that we just felt it was a really, it was a better way for us to be more efficient as a company from a sales and marketing uh, perspective, but also from a support perspective as well. In my last company, we were, we were in 26, I think 23 companies before we were at $2 million in revenue. Um, But that was a necessity because it was a very niche market play. We were very specifically targeting music festivals uh, and generally music festivals that have the budget and the complexity to need more like an enterprise grade platform. So so it was an obligation for us to figure out ways to do that. But this market here, I mean, there's millions of potential customers just in North America. So so that's that's entirely the, the reason for that focus.
0: Yeah, it makes make complete sense. Um, so, a lot of my listeners they're early stage SaaS founders. Um, something I notice a lot just from speaking to many founders is that you know a lot of them have a hard time gaining that initial traction and getting those first handful of customers. Um, can you walk us through how how you got your earliest customers with with uh, security? Like, did you have a specific go to strategy, for example?
1: Yeah. So very similar actually to what I did in my last company. And that is, you know, you're generally starting off. Nobody knows who you are. You don't really have like, it's you, you haven't earned trust. You don't have customer referrals. You, you know, it's really challenging point of entry. And so, so what I did both in my last company and this company is go to my network. Who do I know that fits or falls within um, the, the the vertical that we're selling to? And so, you know, I had a bunch of friends that were that were founders, CTOs, CEOs of, of technology companies. I had relationships with other investment firms that had portfolio co- companies that were early stage and that were selling to enterprise. Um, and and then we also did Techstars right around when we launched our beta program. So we did Techstars Boston and that opened us up to a massive network of you know I think that network is now you know, well over two thousand companies and so we were able to leverage the relationships our connections our networks our investor relationships and that really became the foundation of our of our early customers which were generally paid beta customers and then you know really utilized those customers to try to understand how to find more People or more companies like them. So you know, we really spent a lot of time talking with those customers and understanding. You know, what it? Why did you? Why are you using us? What was? It, what was it about what we're doing that's interesting? You know, understand their pain point, the language that they would use to speak at that to that pain point, and then understand. Like try to understand as best as possible what what is it that they would have done had they not been introduced to us, or where would they have gone for advice? And and sort of you know now as we we're now we're at the point where we've exhausted our, for the most part, exhausted our direct internal network. So now we're, so that's like the next step. It's like, you know, we had this initial boost in sales that we were all excited about. Um, And then, so it was basically like, we had three months of like, we're kicking it, right? We're killing it here. And then it was like crickets. It all just kind of stopped. And our, I think we got ahead of ourselves and we got like a little bit, like a little bit excited about the fact that we were hitting targets. And then we literally had a couple of months where we were like kind of dead in the water because we had exhausted that. And so then we had to kind of go back to the drawing board and be like, okay, we need to use these, these these success stories of these early customers that we earned through our network to build case studies and to understand how to go out there and, 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 and take that next leap, which is then selling to people that you have absolutely, you know, very little to no connection to. And that's exactly what we've, we've just done. So we've just done, we've just gone through, had this, you know, spent the summer talking to customers, building out a sales and marketing strategy. Um, and then hiring, we hired our first uh, director of content marketing, we hired our first director of sales. And now we have, you know, hired some, bought some new, some different tools, built sales scripts. Like now we're actively selling and actively delivering content marketing from what we've learned from that initial couple of hundred thousand dollars in revenue that, that came from our networks.
0: I love it. You, you sort of answered my, my next question. So like early on, like you focused on your immediate network, got the feedback, uh, your, those initial uh, customers, um, and today, so specifically, are you guys doing more like outbound sales or you know a combination of inbound as well? Because obviously you're doing the content marketing. Um, how, yeah, how, does so, it, how does it look today?
1: So So we have somebody that's entirely focused on building our content out and and then leveraging that through our networks and our, our social media. Um, and that is, so it's, you know, they're focusing entirely on this inbound strategy. We also have a person who's, who's focusing entirely on, um, you know, the funnel processes and tying, um, tying our, like, so, so we're using some advertising, some click ads and stuff like that. This is some newer stuff. So we don't have a whole lot of, of say metrics to evaluate it, but we're basically just looking at it. Like these are all experiments that we're investing time in. And 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 really measuring and evaluating the progress, and and so we're doing the same thing on our outbound on our outbound reach. So we have um, our, our director of sales is focusing on direct sales strategies towards um, the, the startups out there that are that are say post series A post or sort of post seed post A and some post B, and really just going out there and and, and doing direct uh, inside sales to them, while at the same time. Uh, my my co-founder and I are actually testing out some theories we had on some possible channel some possible channel strategies. So at, you know, and then so the, the 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 plan for us is to basically spend three months really dedicated, focused, and and we have we've even brought in some some consultants and other advisors to really make sure that you know we're properly vetting each um, each strategy versus like sort of giving it a half ass try and then you know blaming the strategy, not the implementation. Cause sometimes you can have a, you can have a great strategy, poor implementation. And then you think that that, well, that vertical is no good. Well, maybe you just didn't do that vertical properly. So we're really like our focus is each of us own something. We are heads down. We meet weekly um, to check on our metrics. We have really good tools to sort of measure the metrics and, and conversions and, and sort of performance around those activities. And then based on our understanding of which of those work, we will then decide where we're going to go. So if there's one that worked really well and the other two not so, then we'll we'll triple down on the one that worked. If if more than one of them works, then we'll you know that'll be a really good thing and our sales will reflected and and we'll we'll be able to spend more revenue on go, going after more than one strategy at a time. But you know I think it's like you, you, you kind of have to try things. I think the challenge is like you know when you talk to a lot of people and a lot of advisors get a lot of advice and and but the reality is is like. Every vertical and every sales pro- and every profile, customer profile, can have, can have differences in how they, how they purchase or where they get information. And, and also, like, you know, what worked two years ago um, might not work today. And, and that's, I think, just the reality and why, why it's so important to try things, test things, A, B, and really make sure that you're, 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 you're looking at that data and, and using that data and not using your gut feeling on, on the tests that you do.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think it, that's key just to try and test everything. I mean, there there's too many people that I speak to as well, who are sort of like headline readers or they hear something and they assume it's not going to work for them. Uh, like you said, every market, every vertical, every customer profile is totally different. So uh, different strategies could might work for one person or company and not work for the other. So yeah, very important to try. Um, a uh, question on that though like what what do you think is the number one or what is the number one source for your inbound leads currently is it through the content or like your paid ads
1: our content like we have a piece few pieces of content that are actually doing fairly well and and you know the way that we're getting towards get, having content act that way is is really by again going back and understanding the problem points and and sort of unpacking unpacking the problem and, and figuring out what are the things that people are searching for if they're trying to deal with this problem. Um, and then finding amongst those things which, which terms are, are not bloodbaths where every cybersecurity company in the world is, is, is on top of it. Like, what are those unique opportunities where we can punch through a little bit, punch through the noise a little bit? And so that, that has been fairly successful for us we're really just starting to see positive results as of the last couple of, I would say the last six to eight weeks. Cause it's not something like, I think, I think the thing with inbound is I really do think it takes, it takes months to get to that point where, where it really, really, really starts to work. So it's the kind of thing that I think you just have to, you have to be willing and to be patient and, and take some time. It's not like you're going to post an article and then weeks later, it's generating all kinds of traffic, generally speaking. Um, I think the other part of it too, is like, you know, again, looking at those numbers, I'm going to obsess always about looking at the numbers, but, but, you know, you might have a post that has like, we have, I have an example. We have a post that's generating the most hits to our website, but it's not creating any like actual engagement. And, and it's because it's, it's it's such a vague post that could, it's, it's solving a piece of a problem that could be a thousand different journeys, like not the exact journey that our customer or or ideal customers on. So, you know, start tweaking that a little bit or actually like changing the calls to action. Like some, some companies I think are just too quick to be like, here's a blog now sign up for my, buy my thing. Right. It's, it's like, it's a little too, it's, it's too aggressive of a jump. So we try to find ways that like, Hey, we gave you value for free. Uh, here's another way you can get some more value and sort of like walk them down a journey, do some a being around that, constantly test that and then figure out like figure out the secret, like which, which ones work and which journeys work the most to get people from just reading your blog, for example, to actually engaging with you on a more meaningful level. Yeah. I
0: love that. Um, what about um, paid ads? Like that's something like my company, for example, where we're now experimenting as well. Uh, are you having any success on the paid
1: Um, marketing route we're pretty early to the game we've had some success i literally just had a meeting today where we're building out some new campaigns so we've upped our budget um starting starting for next week so we will we will be doing more on that and we'll be we'll be doing some more testing on that but but so far it's been hasn't been super lucrative but again our we haven't we haven't dedicated much time and energy and resources to it so
0: nice nice all right, fair enough. Um, I see you guys raise some money recently. Is it 1.8 million,
1: or is that the total amount you've raised? We raised 1.8 million Canadian. Canadian. So nice. that's about 1.4 something US, I believe. 1.46 or something like that US. And that Very was back nice. that round closed in early May of uh, 2019. And before nice. that, we raised. We raised about six hundred thousand u s dollars all collectively before that um through some angels uh, and in a few uh, few small bits here and there
0: okay that's amazing um how did you how did you employ that um
1: investment like hires technology marketing? so uh, i a little bit of all of those things. So um, we did make we did make some hires. We made we've made three hires, and we're actually recruiting for two more positions currently. Um, and 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 those are one of those hires, or I should say, two of those hires are actually product. Um, and then um, that so one that we hired and one that we're looking to hire is product. And then everything else has been in the sales and marketing side of the business.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, Do you get into like revenue numbers or user count with your company, or
1: when you say get into, do you mean like we share Uh, it
0: public? Yeah, is that public information or
1: yeah, generally not. Like, um, it's not something that we generally go into. I mean, we're 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 pretty early stage. We only launched. uh, We only launched our product in the spring. Um, We're somewhere close to seventy customers right now. Um, but I mean, the revenue kind of, it's kind of all over the place because we, we have some really small customers that are only spending a couple of thousand dollars. And then we've got a couple of larger projects that are, you know, in in, in the $30,000 range. So it's kind of all over the place there.
0: Yeah, it make, makes sense. I, I got to ask because there's a lot of, uh, there's this whole open data movement, a lot of SaaS companies and, and technology companies are sharing their numbers. So you know, it doesn't hurt. You never know. Yeah, um, no, for sure. I'm, yeah. No, I, totally. I'm with you though. I don't share my company's uh, financials either, but um, uh, how how big's your team now? I see on the website, is it 14 people? Is that accurate?
1: We're actually 16 now. So there's a few bodies that haven't uh, been added to the website as of yet. But, uh,
0: okay, nice. And yeah. you guys are all based in Nova Scotia?
1: Well, almost. Um, we are... Everybody except one person. So we made our first, uh, we added our first team member from Boston a couple of weeks ago. Um, So yeah, we have one U S person that's on our team and then everybody else is, is here in Nova Scotia.
0: Okay, cool. Do you, do you do the hiring yourself for your company?
1: I play a role in it, but I I don't, I I don't exclusively do it uh, myself. And so it depends on the hire, like uh, my CTO um, generally leads the technical hires in the company. Um, other product hires around UX or or sort of the security side of the business I participate in, my co-founder does, uh, with our director of sales, um, does most of the hiring in regards to sales or marketing talent.
0: Okay, fair enough. The reason I ask, I mean, I think, um, especially for growing companies, I, you know, I'm coming from a bootstrap perspective. So like I take hiring and onboarding like very seriously, like as you know, it's very time consuming, it's draining, it's uh, resourceful, it costs money. So, uh, you know, I like to try and make the right hires early on, which I think is very important rather than having to restart the process again, because you made a bad mistake. Uh, yep. Do you have any tips on hiring successfully?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's, it, it can be it can be a really big setback if you make the wrong hire and i think the smaller you are the more significant that is so i mean obviously if you're a 100 person company and you make two bad hires that's not going to be the end of the world but if you're a four person company and you make two bad hires that's i mean that's substantial and that could be the difference between success or failure so i think like you know, certainly at that early stage, you really need to be all over it. And I've been all over it up until recently, but I have, you know, I have some experienced people on my, on my team that have, have experience hiring. We also have a process. And I think that would be sort of where I would, I would really, you know, recommend thinking about building out a process, doing some research, talking to some people who have hired, uh, people with that talent. So, you know, and that's especially the case when you get into sort of more senior talent. So if you're, say for example, you're hiring a director of sales, if you've never hired a director of sales and built a company that has been successful, um, you know, from a sales strategy where you've built that and recruited that, then I think you really need to, you really need to spend some time talking to people that have done that um, and t- and understanding what are the traits of that of success. So the closer of a company you can find to yourself, like you know, is it P2B SAS or P2B SaaS sales? Is it, is it is it you know enterprise sales really understanding in, uh, th- that from people who have done that, so other founders or-, or CEOs that have hired people in that role, I think that's a really good thing and build out a process. And you know, some of the processes, like it kind of depends on the role, but like we have processes even for for entry level employees. So for example, when our CTO is going to go hire a, a software developer um, in, you know even a, a younger uh, earlier stage software developer, they're going to, there's a process that he goes through and it's like looking at, looking at their work, seeing work they've actually done, discuss problems and, and get the, get like really vet that they have the skill Um, when we hired in my last company, when we hired customer success people, we would actually, we would actually pick a product, not our own cause our own product was really complex, but we would pick a product that's really simple. Something like a MailChimp, something that has a free, uh, has a free, um, freemium account or free user base and we'd give them a an allocated period of time to learn that tool inside and out and then we would you know put them in another room and and we would actually pretend we're a customer and get them to onboard us and we'd have questions prepared for them we just like gauge what their ability is to learn new things to deploy that information to communicate with a customer remotely um to answer complicated questions or dumb questions or or what have you so like you know the more you can try to like like test and understand, because again, you know, I think it's so easy for early stage founders to get caught up in, Oh, he's got a degree or an MBA at at, at this big university, or this person's got seven certifications and and, and whatever, like those things are great, but like they're actually, I I found my experience certifications and university degrees in a, in a lot of domains are generally zero indication of somebody's fit or ability to work and, and accomplish the things you need them to accomplish in your startup. So you want to know about like what, tell me a time when you've done, you've, you've, you've solved a problem like X, you know, something that's relevant to what you're hiring that person to do. You want to make sure that you're hiring somebody who's a doer, who's going to be able to roll up their sleeves and do, um, you know, perform that job, um, you know, in a way that's going to be, that's going to take your company to the next level
0: yeah i i totally agree uh that's spot on it's so easy to fake a resume you know let's be honest like personally i i very quickly skim resumes like i don't care about degrees or certifications Uh, i think it's important to do tests like you said
1: Uh, my Uh, favorite one i used to do uh, i used to love this there's a lot of people that put on their resume in canada that they're bilingual because we're a bilingual country (laughs) i am actually fluently bilingual but you would not think that i speak french fluently when you speak to me in english so I, i used to love like you know, asking people about things they've done on their resume and and things they, they self-evaluate themselves. And then when they have bilingual, I turn the conversation over to French. And so many times, like, you know, they're like, oh, damn, uh, you know, I haven't used my French in a long time. It's like, okay, well, let's go back through all the other things you said that you're really good at. When was the last <laughs> time you used this skill? <laughs> so, you know, I used to find that really entertaining, but I, I actually generally don't look at the resumes, resumes anymore. My, my co-founder does. He has some experiences being a headhunter. So he's done some recruiting professionally. Um, generally, the thing that I still do with everybody before we bring on a new person is I, I like to meet them and go for a coffee or, or lunch or dinner or something and just try to get a good gut feel on them i know that's not a very quantifiable process but you know i i like to believe that you know hiring the right person from a skill and talent and all that if they're if they're really not going to be a good fit in your business if people if 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 you can if you can you know that skill set's not going to be worth disrupting the rest of your business in most cases that might be a little different if you're let's say a remote team but but you know, if you've got a, a group of people that get along really well and a lot of mutual respect in the office, and you want to be careful that you don't bring somebody in that environment that could poison that well, um, and and you know, I think I think that's that's something, and, and I and I feel that over years of of success and failure in that side, I've I've, I've developed the ability to um, get a get a feel for that, and and I have to feel like, hey, we're bringing a person in here who's a good person who's, who's going to be, you know, who's doing this for the right reason. And, um, you know, is going to be a good player on this team. And they're not just looking for a six months opportunity to put a little tag on the resume or, or something like that. So.
0: Yeah, that's true. And, and I say that to, to everyone, I, everyone I speak to when we're hiring as well, like I, I wouldn't jeopardize, um, the, or risk that like the culture and community that we've built within our company it would, to for any anything or anyone because like, so you can't build a great company without having a great team uh so any any bad apples it's just it's never good
1: and i've done it like i remember doing it was like i go back to like the mercado journey and some of the like learning from messing it up first and you know we we made a hire one time we hired this guy who's like in every way the best hire we've ever made except for personality um and and and, you know, so we were so excited that, well, we, how did we land this genius high five? And then literally three weeks later, we're like, oh shit, what have we done? And then it was like, now I have to, I have to remove this malignant body <laughs> from my company. Um, you know, so it's, it's just a real, it's a real thing. Right. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, switching gears a little bit, you touched upon your, you mentioned your your dashboards and metrics that you guys have a good grasp on, which is great. Um, and, and I know this answer is different for almost everyone in every company, but what do you use to measure the success of your company? Like, do you have any particular go-to metrics that are important to you?
1: Yeah, and, and, and I will say that they change all of the time. Um, I don't believe, especially early stage, when you're still figuring out the, the, the numbers of your business and, how, and, and the logistics of your business, I think that these things change all the time. Um, so, for example, like when we were doing our, our beta, our beta was the biggest thing that we wanted to, to really track was the conversion from demo to signing up and paying that's a very simple thing right but we were we were accessing people in our network we wanted to track how many of them went from um from actually you know we knew everybody in our network was going to take a call with us because they're in our network so you can't measure that that's that that's a just a crap metric to look at when you're at the point where you're you're tapping the network so we knew like we're gonna have a crazy unrealistic conversion from email or initial reach out to actually having a demo or a conversation. So then it was like tracking, do you have the problem that our solution solves? Now you're qualified. So now this was the important part was qualification. You are our ideal customer. You have this pain. Now give me your money. Cause generally speaking, your friends will take the call. Your friends will say that you have a great idea, but asking your friends for $5,000, that's where you've now gone beyond, The likely you know the 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 contours to their friend relationship and into the reality of like is your problem is your solution solving a problem that they're willing to cough up and go back to their uh you know business partners and say hey we need to spend five grand on this so that was at that stage a thing we were tracking and you know and i'll also tracking our 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 runway is you know obviously you know generally speaking the the the, the mad race in an early stage startup is like, how do I validate this enough before I run out of money that I can get more money from more investors? Or how do I, you know, how do I get that revenue? So I don't run, I don't run out of out of money. So that's, that's obviously one that, that, that you track really closely. As we started doing different campaigns though, and started to do other activities, we started to then measure other metrics. So you know, we have a whole set of metrics that we, we use to look at the success of our inbound marketing and our content marketing. And then now that we're actually engaging in outbound sales activities, where we don't, we, you know, we're working outside of our network and friends and relationships, um, you know, we're tracking all of the activities that that those campaigns and, and testing those against, you know, different types of campaigns, different types of language, different types of of, of nurturing through that funnel and really look I think looking at the funnel, not just looking at sales closing, because you know, it's, it, there's so many pieces to a journey bef- between like initial introduction or, or initial sort of communication um, with, with a potential customer to them giving you their money and, and really understanding each step along that funnel is so critical. And until you nail it and once you nail it, um, you know, then it's, then, then you have, you know, say more than one rep doing it. Now you want to compare the entire funnel rep to rep, not the bottom line sales rep to rep, because you might be able to figure out that, Hey, this rep is killing it. Not because this rep is necessarily better, but they're better at one. There's one piece in that funnel. And then you might be able to educate that across the other pieces, your other sales reps funnels. So I think like in that stage, when you're really figuring out your business, you have to, I think you should be meeting on a regular basis with your board, your advisor, your co-founder, and being like, let's take a good, hard look. These are the metrics we were looking at the last month or three months. Are these the right metrics that we should be looking at based on what's ha- happening now or what we're doing now? So I think you really need to look at that, that, those metrics, those numbers. Um, in, in a very. You have to be very um, you know, willing to open to sort of changing that and, and, and reassessing that on a regular basis.
0: No, that's true. That makes makes a lot of sense. Um, I had a previous guest on and I really liked how like his thoughts on this topic. Like he said, you know, if you're stranded on an Island, what would be the top three metrics? You only add three to that you have. So, so you know your company is doing well or to see if your company is doing well. Like, do you, do you have those like top three?
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, we do have, we do have some top like a top level dashboard um, that we look we look at and it is it is basically customer engagement. We have a customer engagement metric, so we're looking to see growth and engagement. Uh, and we do that kind of in, in we almost do that in um, cohorts. So as as we've brought in newer cohorts, are we, are we seeing an increase in engagement? From companies coming in that are more properly defined based on improvements, that are coming into the app with a with a better conversion path. So we're always trying to increase that convert that that, that interaction with the application and that engagement because that'll be, you know, that'll be the thing that essentially make so if we have people that are really engaged and, and satisfied with their experience in the application, then that's gonna that's gonna impact churn. And referral and and all that kind of stuff. So that's one. The other one is we, we, we do, we do do the hard sales number. We always watch that hard sales number and how it's, how it's, how it's comparing to, um, essentially what our target is because our runway is based on our target. So it's, if we're not bringing in that cash, then then, then that you know, that's reducing from that runway and those metrics are directly tied to one another. And then the other one is the, the other one we look at is the performance of the funnel right now. So again, that sort of feeds that top line number. So we're very revenue driven, right? It's, it's revenue that's going to give us time. It's revenue that's going to give us the ability to raise more money and, and scale the things that we discover are working at a higher rate. So it's like literally three metrics that are determining what our, you know, current revenue and future revenue are going to look like.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. So I say take it given like you're looking at runway, you guys aren't profitable yet?
1: We are not profitable right now. Okay. That is
0: correct. All right. Um, I, I, it seems like your sales process, and it's just curious for me, like, um seems like your sales process is very tightly structured with a really good process. Like, What CRM are you using?
1: So we... We use HubSpot, but, uh, we're actually in the process of onboarding sales loft right now.
0: Sales loft. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of them. I haven't. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. And what about your dashboard? What do you use for a dashboard or is that custom built or, or do you use HubSpot for all that as well?
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of our stuff is in HubSpot. Um, we also, there's a couple of things that we track because so, again, so we have those, like those three high level dashboard metrics, um, and then we have a whole bunch of other little things that are very specific to departments and campaigns, and so that moves around. There's just some cases where we have sort of um, we have Google uh, like a Google um, sheet that's pulling some data from other sources. HubSpot does the, the bulk share of our of, of the stuff regarding our sales and marketing right now, but we're actually looking at um, at, at centralizing more of the stuff, and we've lit up an account with Clipfolio. And I think Tableau is another one that we're we're considering looking at. But you know, trying to because uh, we've we've really kind of gone from measuring a small amount of things to measuring a lot of things in in the last couple of months. Um, and and so it, it does create a little bit of like there's a couple of different links on my on my uh, you know on my browser that I go to to see all the information. So really kind of hoping that between you know a, a solution like Clipfolio or Tableau can bring this together. And make it a little more, um, you know, a little more simple. And and I know that as we're doing different campaigns and different projects, we're going to have metrics regarding those projects as well. And and so and those results feed into into those top three metrics too. So
0: yeah, nice, nice. Okay, cool. Um, quick question as well. So like being a funded company now with you know several investors, I'd imagine your like responsibilities and day to day are a little different than like when you were bootstrapped or a bootstrap founder, um, like, would you say that's accurate? Like how have your responsibilities changed if at all compared to when you didn't have investors?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, you're totally right. It, it, I think, you know, as you, as you grow in general, um, as you grow your, your responsibility should change. Um, and I think, you know, when you're starting out there's a few of you, you're kind of doing everything. Um, and everybody's kind of doing everything and it's totally chaotic. And, You know, then you start like, you know, I was doing all of the sales, me and my co-founder, but now we have somebody doing that. I was writing blogs, now we have somebody writing content. So, you know, and and then the 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 good thing about that is like, you know, if you're doing it right, you're you're hiring somebody generally better than you to focus and do a way better job at the thing that you're hiring them to do than you were doing it beforehand. And so like, you know, as you start doing that, especially as a CEO you know, ultimately you, 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 start moving towards a model of always, you know, you're spending your time on leadership, on vision, you're spending your time recruiting, like recruiting talent, recruiting, you know, future investors, recruiting advisors. Right. And then, so those things happen, I think whether, you know, or should happen, whether you raise capital or your growth is organic as you're growing, that becomes the thing because, you know, if you're going to go from 20 to 40 people in the next six months, because of your growth well, where are you going to find those 20 people, right? You can't just expect you're going to put a job ads up and then these geniuses, these perfect fits for your company are going to fall from the sky. I mean, that's just not the world we live in. So, you know, part of that process of finding the right talent is building a talent funnel and building relationships with people. And like, you know, so that's something that I think as a CEO, you you start to spend, you have to start dedicating time towards. Now, the thing that happens when you bring on funding is now you do have some, some, some new responsibilities. You have, Generally, you have uh, very structured reporting that you have to get a handle on. So, you know, most of your investors are going to want to see uh, a monthly update, something quick and dirty that shows them how you're making out. Um, you know, most investors are going to want you to fill out some sort of form or online tool to to report on, on metrics and variety of different things, at least on a quarterly basis um, and then, you know, often when you take on money, you're then going to build a board, or you're going to end up having a board. And so then the board means, well, now you have a meeting to prepare for and there's, there's action items and there's, there's activities there. So you start getting into some governance activity that that can take away a bit of your time as well. So yeah, definitely, it, you definitely change, you know, I definitely see, see the change. Uh, again, I'm, I'm always trying to delegate everything so uh, as much as possible. So that, so that I'm not bogged down because I think like you have to have, you have to have time to be learning. You have to have time to be, you know, following your industry. You have to have time to be building relationships. If you are bogged down with so much stuff that you have no time to st- stick your head up, then, then, then that, that can be really challenging from a leadership uh, perspective.
0: For sure. I totally agree. Well said. Uh, do, other than the tools you mentioned, do you have any uh, favorite tools that, or apps that you use personally or your team uses for, for productivity or focus or anything else?
1: Um, we're using Asana for task management. I don't know okay. if it's Asana or Asana. A-S-A-N-A. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's relatively new. I'd say a couple of months ago. Um, but it, it was just sort of this identif- identifying that everyone was sort of keeping their their task lists in random places, and things were falling through the cracks, and it was really hard to know who, who was working on what and what was you, you f- figure out somebody in your team is working on something that they think is priority, whereas reality that these other two things are more important. So that gave me the ability to check in on projects and not have to interrupt people. So we have a very sort of you know we have a very process driven um, you know. We, we use Asana strictly, and, and, and people use it and interact, and it becomes the platform that our projects and people collaborate on. So that's really helpful. We can see how people are performing and, 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 and whatnot. Um, we also started using um, a tool by the name of Hugo, uh, Hugo.team, and we're, we're using that for meetings, actually, so that's really cool. Um, and basically what, what it is, is it's like, you can put your, so the the concept of like always having an agenda for every meeting so that people can know what they're going to this meeting for and that they can bring with them the mindset and whatever information that they feel they would want to have in a meeting about that subject. And then, you know, building, like writing down the, like writing down the notes from every meeting so that, Um, you know, you don't have a meeting and then all of a sudden two weeks later, people are still talking about the same thing or nothing came from the meeting, try to reduce waste of the meetings. And we have a, we have a direct integration with Hugo and Asana. So when there's an action item that comes up, just, it just gets turned into one right there. So there's no, it just reduces the likelihood that, that there's a misunderstanding of who's responsible for what, and then ending that meeting with, all right, let's go through the action items. So you got this, this is the deadline for that. This is what you need and this is what I'm doing. And just so there's real great clarity. So you, so you when you take that time of pulling everybody into a room or a large group of people into a room, that, that you actually make sure that you really achieve what you're trying to achieve and why you decided that the meeting was worth the time and that you've set up a success, like a, a way to ensure that these things are going to get done and, and, and acted upon.
0: That's nice. Uh, Hugo sounds interesting. That sounds uh, helpful. I personally hate meetings that just don't have like a purpose or agendas. And um, so I think uh, something like Hugo can, can help uh, organize things a bit better for sure.
1: Yeah. And and I, you know, you you hear, like, you hear a lot of people talk about, Oh, meetings are dumb. Like just a ton of waste of time. Like, you know, you got four bodies in a room for an hour, like to think all the work that could have got done. And, you know, I think like, It's, 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 I I don't agree with the statement that meetings have to be a waste of time. I think that in a lot of organizations meetings become time wasted. Um, I think that if you do meetings properly, and I think some of the things like having that agenda, making sure there's real clear articulation on the goals, that, that, that you, you dial in those action items in a way that you're going to make sure that people are held accountable to deliver on them, uh, that people are prepared for the meetings, everybody shows up on time. Uh, you know, these, these things are important. Also make the meeting making meetings short. Like I have some I have people, and like I have a policy where like you need to basically have a really strong justification to make a meeting be an hour long. Most of our meetings are 15 minutes. Some of our meetings are 30 minutes. The meetings that are an hour or longer are usually like something really important where, Hey, we have to develop this, this feature Um, we've already collected a bunch of data. We already have done all our homework. Now we need to walk through this as a group and we need to get this through the finish line. So we're going to sit down and work through it. It might be a two hour thing, but they don't happen very often. Most of these meetings are very pointed and, 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 and very quick. And there's results, the results driven every time.
0: Yeah, that, that that's true. Um I actually just uh signed up for hugo.team to check it out right now.
1: Like literally right now?
0: <laughs> literally right now, yeah. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> uh so what's next for uh, security? Like where do you uh, want to take the company in the next so, 5 years?
1: Yeah, I mean we, we believe like this is a huge market. We are moving into um you know, we're moving into a time where data privacy and, and and status security have gone from back burner things that a lot, a lot of companies don't really prioritize to being uh, front of mind. And I think that in the next couple of years, it's going to be in the same way that there's, you know, every company has some sort of CRM to manage their, their sales process and their leads. Every company is going to have a tool implemented in their organization that manages uh, and keeps track of their compliance and around information security and privacy so so you know massive space there are some interesting other companies that are popping up into the space so it's really you know it's great to be in a i love competition because it's validation and you know when you see relevant competition coming into a place and they're also getting funded and and they're they're getting some traction it, it's really exciting because it means now you're part of a, a group of companies that are that are pioneering and creating a space and and i and i believe strongly that that you know this 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 opportunity is 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 a multi billion dollar opportunity. So our plan in the next five years is to build the greatest product, the most efficient and, and productive tool um, that really helps companies do exactly what they need to do and not waste time and money the way they are now with with the the the, the, the sort of status quo consulting model. Um, you know, and I and I want to build this thing as big as we can in the next three three or sorry, the next five years.
0: That's awesome. Love it. Love it. Can't wait to see the journey. All right, Darren, uh, I do want to be mindful of your time. I do like to end off each episode with what I call the top three. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Number one, your favorite business book.
1: Okay. So I would say that this probably changes every six months or so. Um, But right now, the one that, that, that stands in mind for me would be The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Um, he's done a bunch of, uh, like he's done a bunch of business books where it's almost like he does everything through like a, a story, like a fiction story where like the lessons are learned that way. But this one is kind of written more like a, a traditional, um, business book. And it's, it's really about, it's really all about like creating clarity and building a really strong leadership model in your business. So, um, it's a book that I read earlier in the year. And and th- and it was really moving to me. And I've actually gone back now, and I'm going through the book and reading it again, and actually pulling out specific lessons and sort of gauging at how well I've I've sort of taken the lessons that I pulled from the last time and just taken it a step deeper. But you know, certainly, um, you know, for somebody who's trying to build their build their leadership skills or scale their business and, and and build leadership culture through the business and create clarity and cohesiveness amongst teams, I think it's a really great read
0: that's awesome uh, i've actually i don't think i've ever heard of uh, you said advantage by patrick lincione
1: yeah the advantage right. by Patrick. That's, perfect know. definitely gonna add yeah, that i, recommend it. I mean yeah. i never read something twice so um, for me to read a book twice it's uh, yeah i i feel like i should have probably like taken like wrote notes while i was reading it but i also like the, one of the things i like about reading is that i'm not using my computer so i just try to enjoy the time with the paper and not having a, a screen in front of me. So,
0: yeah, yeah, you know that, that's great. Definitely going to check that one out. Uh, number two, your favorite vacation spot.
1: Yeah. So again, so I'm, I'm one of these people that, that it's like this, the, what's your favorite band question, right? Like I, I don't, I don't know if I have one. I would say that like generally I do vacation at least once a year. Um, I, I typically try to go to different places so that I can sort of experience different things, but I would say like, if somebody was to say, Hey, you're going on a vacation for two weeks and it's gotta be somewhere where you've already been. I would probably stick with Spain. I really like Spain. Um, I love the language. I love their food. I love their wine. I love their climate. Um, yeah, so I'd say that's probably, uh, you know, my favorite place that I've, that I've spent time.
0: Awesome. Anywhere specific in Spain? I've only been to Barcelona, personally.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I love Barcelona. My wife and I spent some time in Barcelona. I really like more rural areas, so, like, there's these regions. Um, we went to the wine region outside of, uh, of, of Barcelona called Penedes, where Cava comes from. Spent some time there. Um, I, I really also like Bilbao, and so south of Bilbao. Uh, There's some really nice wine regions there, like uh, the Yohat region and stuff like that. So I really like that sort of like European countryside vibe and more laid back sort of, uh, you know, s- spot. I also spent some time in the south, which is really nice too, like Malaga and around the coast down there, which, you know, they have like a really great climate in the winter.
0: Awesome. Sounds great. Yeah. It's uh, definitely something from some really nice uh, Spanish wines. So that's for sure. Yeah. And um, lastly, if you can go back, what's the one thing you wish you knew when you
1: were just starting out in business? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, everything? No. <laughs> um, I mean, there's certainly a lot of things that I think um, if I was to like, you know, go back, I think like building security, we're only a couple of years into it. And What's interesting about building a company the second time, your second time building a company is that you are coming in with a very different perspective and, you know, uh, you know, you're sort of preventing yourself from making a lot of the same mistakes you made in your first company. Now there's clearly like new mistakes to discover, but uh, you know, you're always sort of learning and getting better. But I would say, you know, going back to Mercado, I think if I had have really kind of went in and recruited the right people at the right time, and had a much better delegation skill, so ability to, to, you know, really get those right people in at the right time and really empower them to, to take leadership and ownership of things. I think that would have made my last company grow exponentially faster. And, and you know, so, so that would be definitely the one. I think that's, like, really one of the, the skills that is most imperative in building a startup is really the right people at the right time and then the ability to set them up to succeed.
0: I totally agree. Um, Perfect words of wisdom to end off the chat. So, um, Darren, thank you so much. Uh, It's been a real pleasure uh, connecting again, and uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Awesome, brother. Good job. All right, Darren. All the best. thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, I would love to hear it. Be sure to check out founderviews.com for my latest posts and episodes on my journey with everything SaaS, business, and startups. Talk to you later. Peace.